Today I'm going to read Romans 12, 3 through 13. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, it is with Christ's body we are many parts of one body, and we are all belonging to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts of doing certain things well. So if God's gift is giving you the ability to prophecy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If, you're, if it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. We've recently been in a series on prayer. We're taking just a break of this for one week today as we're this week uh, is kind of the kickoff of our fall community groups being kicked off this week with new groups starting up and people kind of returning back into their home groups. We had our first home group since the summer began just this past week. And as we're kicking that off, we're looking at a message that we are created for community. And this past week, as I was preparing for this message, I was looking, looking again at our, our core values as a church. For those that don't know, as we seek to live and love like Jesus here at Northview, we have these five core values. Um, and number one being that we spend time with God. Number two, that we become like Jesus. Three, that we connect in community. Four, that we live generously. You see that slide over all the time. And five, that we reach the lost. And most everything we do here touches on one of these core values, and we've been emphasizing them at different times, and this whole series on prayer, we've been emphasizing spending time with God, obviously, and prior to that, we were in a series on Ephesians, where the massive emphasis was on becoming like Jesus, along with pretty much any sermon I ever give, um, and then also, uh, prior to that, just recently, we did a series on bless, which really emphasis was on reaching the lost. Today, we're touching on connecting a community, and sometime soon, we'll look at, as well again, at, at uh, living generously, but God has created us for community. That's what we'll be talking about today, that where we can be known, where we can be cared for, where we can be loved, and we can love others with the love that Christ has given us, but with transparency and vulnerability. And as I was prepping this past week about kind of even uh, uh, this message about how, how should I open this message? I'm always looking for an opening as, as, a, as a pastor on, on a pre preaching and something that would emphasize kind of the need to be vulnerable and the need for openness and the need to, you know, to, to connect with one another and all these great illustrations out there. Anyways, in the middle of that, John Clements, he was up here playing uh, guitar today and his son Brody was playing bass with him. Was that not awesome? I don't know if you guys, where you guys are at, but thank you, Brody, for jumping in for the first week. Brody came in. Um, anyways, he sent me this report that was just released by the Surgeon General of America. This national report, it's titled this, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and isolation. So this is a government report that was released just recently, and it, the Surgeon General in this report lays out that we as a nation are facing a public health crisis, described as an epidemic of loneliness in our nation. You can read it online, or you just Google some summaries of this thing, but it's absolutely fascinating in the way this is laid out. I mean, this is almost could be like a church writing this thing, but it's the Surgeon General. And the entire thing basically screams on every page, join a healthy church community, right? <laughs> At least that's how I read it. Um, but I, I, I'd love to read, I, mean, I, I would love to kind of read the whole thing, but it's actually really long with tons of detail and studies and all this other stuff. I mean, it's really well put together. But um, I, I just want to hit some of the main points of this and spend a few minutes on this because it's absolutely awesome. Well, not, it's actually terrible, but it's amazing in how it basically speaks of the need for community and, and how we gather and, and how desperately people need to be connected to a body of people where we bring our whole selves to it. And the report details how the vast majority of Americans are feeling lonely right now. I mean, across every generation, but the generation that is experiencing more loneliness right now than any other generation is the 18 to 24-year-olds right now. Right now, 80% of a recent study of 18 to 24-year-olds reported that they're feeling lonely. 
And this is the group that got hammered during the midst of COVID, right? Where their social isolation became forced upon them. And it's no surprise that in the last couple of years, those students who are finishing up high school during COVID, whereas before lots of kids go to college and stay, we're seeing across the country countless numbers of students who go away to college that are struggling to adapt in the college environment and returning home because of the difficulties in socialization, the difficulties in adapting. There is a crisis happening of isolation and and, and, and solitude and loneliness. But the Surgeon General literally declares this a national public health emergency across all ages. It says this, loneliness is more widespread today than any other major health issue in the United States. This has been declared the single largest health issue in our country is loneliness and isolation. And they did a bunch of studies doing this, of of looking at what the results of sustained loneliness is. And specifically that it's not just an emotional thing that, yes, loneliness and isolation lead to, you know, despair or anxiety and depression, but also significantly has health effects, specifically even affecting mortality rates. Loneliness is literally killing us in this country. Check this out. Not just random. Here's the facts behind it. Their studies find that lacking social connection, these are reports you can find on the the thing, on the, on the, the report, it says, is as dangerous as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Actually, more dangerous than 15 cigarettes a day is the effect on our health of loneliness and isolation leading to death. It's worse than drinking six alcoholic drinks a day is loneliness and isolation. It's worse than physical inactivity and has more harmful effects than obesity and sedentary living. So loneliness and isolation. These aren't just my words. This is from this, this study that was done by the government released just recently. Even worse than air pollution. They found out that loneliness can actually increase the risk of heart disease by 29% and the risk of stroke by 32%. That's insane. Loneliness is literally killing us. Billions and billions and billions are right now being spent in this country on the effects of loneliness and isolation. And during COVID, it got so much worse. So during COVID, the amount of time we spent today in isolation skyrocketed in these last couple years. At the same time, the amount of time that we spent in social connection with friends plummeted. Right now, we are spending one third of the time we spent in social connections in person than we did just a few years ago. A third of the amount of time. Right? And the amount of time alone is skyrocketing. So what's happening? We're getting distance and by ourselves, spending time away from friends, and it's literally killing us. So in this comprehensive report, they give all these key points of things to pay attention to. And and because they're so relevant for us, I'm just going to spend a little more time. And I want to hit a few of these things. There's five points that I want to read from this. Kind of some summaries they came up with what's going on in this country. And this is not written by a church. This is by the government surgeon general, right? We probably might disagree with a lot of stuff they have to say. But this is having to do directly with our emotional health. He says this. One, they say that loneliness is misunderstood. That there is a stigma associated with loneliness. So many people struggle with it, but don't talk about it. And about having trouble admitting to themselves that they are lonely. Which, of course, increases more loneliness, as we'll see. Two, most people, here's a major problem, think loneliness is a feeling and haven't considered that it's also a physical component to it. The mortality impact of loneliness is, in fact, greater than the mortality impact of obesity or sedentary living, the issues we focus so often in public health. Three, loneliness can throw you into a cycle. This gets real dangerous. The paradox is that people who are lonely don't want others to think that something's wrong with them, so they further isolate themselves. When we struggle with a problem that we can't share, it further isolates us. Let me be honest. How many of us have struggled at times to admit that we're lonely? Right? Because that makes us feel, I don't know, needy, or it makes us see less than, and so we don't want to admit to other people because then we're not a good Christian. We're not doing things. And, we, and so what is, what is the result of that? We feel shame, we feel condemnation, and then we feel even lonelier and more, we isolate even more as a result. And how many of us, I'm going through this, like, wow, this is really depressing. I'm now more lonely than I realize, right? I'm going to keep going, sorry. Um, So it says there's a difference in isolation and solitude, or loneliness and solitude. Solitude, or being alone or isolated, is about being physically alone. It's an objective phenomenon based on the number of people around you. That's what solitude means. But loneliness is a subjective term, it says. So about how to feel about your connection. So I might have one person around me, but not feel lonely at all because I feel a deep connection to myself and to that person. So I can be lonely in the midst of of only just having one person potentially. Or I I could have 100 people around me and feel profoundly lonely, which happens to so many people. 
We could ensure that people are interacting with others all day long, but that doesn't mean we'll re- we will reduce loneliness if we aren't deeply connected. I mean, how many of us have felt lonely in crowds? How many of us feel lonely coming to church, surrounded by 100 people or more, or at work or school? And this is so real. Last point. Media connections are not necessarily the same thing as deeper connections. There can be an assumption that because you're virtually connected through social media, email, or text, that somehow that protects you from loneliness. Sometimes it can, but not always. What matters when it comes to loneliness is the quality of your connections with people. Technology can sometimes be quality connection, and sometimes it can detract from quality connections. It can lead us to substitute lower quality connections from what used to be higher quality in-person interactions. The kind of conversations you have via text, here it is, are different quantitatively from the conversations you have in person or on the phone with someone where you can hear their voice or understand their tone, feelings, and intentions. How many of us are regular in communication via text and email and social media yet still feel lonely? Because those connections don't go deep enough. They're kind of like eating potato chips when you're hungry, right? You just keep eating more and more and more and it never satisfies the hunger. I mean, go back and read through those. They're all on our sermon notes. You can see them if you go on our website under messages, sermon resources, all the sermon notes, the discussion questions for the week are there. But basically, this is the biggest health crisis facing America, and and people don't want to admit it. That's the problem, because it leads to more shame when we admit it, and so we just further isolate, and that we can even be alone in a crowd. It's not just about having people around. It's not about being around people, but being known and being loved and, and loving others. And digital communication, which is now the norm, especially post-COVID, can be so deceptive because it it feels like we're connecting, but it doesn't reach those deeper levels that we need to have connections with people. And you see the greatest example, this is Gen Z. Any study shows that Gen Z is more massively connected, the 18 to 24, is more massively connected than any previous generation ever studied. The most connected by far than any previous generation, but what also every single study shows, massively the loneliness, the most depressed generation we've ever seen on record. Despite having more connections, more texts, more social media, more connections than ever before, more friends than ever before. The Surgeon General concludes the report by saying this, the antidote to this crisis is the need to rebuild the social fabric of the country through social connections. That's our government stating that, that we have a problem. To which I say, amen. We need better connections, right? And they, they, they conclude with some examples of how to deal with this. Basically saying people need to be known. And I love the phrase they use here. As it wraps up, it says people need to bring their whole selves to a relationship. To which I say again, amen and amen. I mean, that sounds like what church is supposed to be. We bring our whole selves into the body. Not hiding, not faking it, bringing our whole selves. I mean, to me, that report's basically just a long sermon. If it just had some more scripture in it, um, it'd, it'd be perfect. But... Um, we don't just crave connection. We, we are created for it. We need it. A lack of connection or being known for others is literally killing us. Worse than cigarettes, worse than obesity, worse than all these other things. The compounding effects of COVID have made it exponentially worse. And one of the biggest reasons is because we've learned to accept this new normal. And so we've learned to accept that ache of loneliness and just say, well, that's the post-COVID reality. When that ache is not there from COVID, it's there because it's what we were created for, is community and connectedness. A few years ago, there was this tweet, or X, I don't know what the, what's the verb tense of X now, I'm not quite sure what that is, but they went viral regarding relationships, and it said this, it said, nobody talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. Um, <laughs> that's great, that most of us have very few friends, let alone close friends, and real connections, and And again, the problem is we're growing increasingly accepting of this new reality that was never intended to be. And it's to our detriment because this is not the way God created us to be. I've said it so many times that before the beginning, God existed in three persons, as as we call it the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And they were in perfect fellowship and they, they delighted in one another. They loved one another. They were in this perfect fellowship of love and joy and delight and mutual care. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, describes it, the dance of the Trinity. 
that where God exists, this beautiful dynamic of this triangle of mutual love and delight. And from the beginning, to be God is to be in relationship. Before he was creator God, he was father and son and in relationship. So it defines him. God is a relational God in his very essence. He is in perfect fellowship and relationship and delight for one another. And then this perfectly relational God decides at some point in eternity past to take that love that they have for one another and pour it into a creation to exponentially increase the power and the impact of that love into a creation. And they created us to experience that, but not only to experience it, to invite us into that dance, right? To invite us into their fellowship. That's what we are literally created for as humanity is to enjoy God and one another for all of eternity and this incredible mutual fellowship of delight and joy and care and love to being part of one another and loving one another. It's what we are created for, to join this dance with them, with God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and with one another. That is why, wow, my voice just cracked. That is why we crave connection, It's literally what we're created for. This is why Genesis, after God creates Adam, he says there's no one suitable. Check this out in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. But wait a second. He says Adam is alone. This is after all the animals are created. Every possible kind of animal, every cute example, and they're not against him. There's no evil, so he can hang out with snakes and lions and everything else that's there, whatever's going on. He's right in their midst. He is not alone by any way, shape, or form. And most importantly, God is right there with him in perfect fellowship. And yet, what does God say? He's alone. All the animals, all the pets you could ever want, and a deep intimacy with the very present, physically present God of the universe. And what does God say? It's not enough. Until he's in deep connection with another human being. Pets aren't enough. They're great. They aren't enough. They aren't a substitute. A deep relationship with the Lord is not enough on its own. This is God saying this, not me. God saying it's not enough just to have pets in God. We need one another. He created us that way from the beginning. From the very beginning, we were created to be in community because our creator is a communal God. Anyone who thinks that they can be healthy and do this life alone is missing the point of creation. It isn't that we can't do life without a community around us. It's that we weren't created to do things that way. It's using it in a purpose it wasn't intended with our lives. To not do so is kind of like to use scissors to cut your grass or your lawn, right? I mean, sure, it'll work, but that's not what they were created for. Or use a butter knife to cut a hard steak. Like, it might work eventually, but that's not what it was created for. The abundant life that God promises us is not forced upon us. It's an invitation to this abundant life that he invites us into. He offers us this invitation, but we have to take him up on it and pursue it, and move towards it. And there's no part of this to bring shame upon anyone. This is not a have to. It's not a guilt or condemnation or anything. It's just, it's an invitation from the Father. And I recognize there's many of you watching online that there is no option of being around people for things of health sicknesses and and distance and other places. I get there's some real serious barriers, and for that, it has to see how can we create a summit. It's the only option is online, and I get there are those situations. This is not universal to every person can't have life but being around other people. But where we can, we have to take advantage of those opportunities. And sadly, because of pain, things have been done to us, we, we tend to withdraw Many of us have been deeply wounded by communities, even church communities, or especially by church communities. Trust has been violated, and we vowed to you know, never trust again or be around other people. And, or maybe we've tried to let people get to know us, and they, and they failed us, and they've rejected us, or we didn't fit in, and so at some point we just stopped trying. And while that may stop the rejection or the hurt in the moment, it doesn't stop the ache that is in us from the DNA of creation, that we were literally wired this way. Christ created us as a body where we require the rest of the body to be whole, where we are not whole unless we are with one another. As we'll see in Scripture, I am not fully me without you. That's what Scripture actually says, that Paul says we belong to one another. We must lean into one another, we, where our strength comes from being together as a body and being known and knowing one another. 
So let's check out our reading for today. So Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that Carly read earlier begins, and he says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I gave each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Ouch. Measure yourselves by the faith that God has given us. So he begins this section of application in the book of Romans in chapter 12 and commands them, don't think too highly of yourself. Another translation literally means have sober judgment of what state you're actually in. Because the reality is we are very self-deceived as human beings. Every study shows the insanity of that. That it's like 95% of humanity thinks they're better than they are in almost every category. It's ridiculous when they look at studies of self-deception, right? So we're like, I'm good. I'm not lonely. I'm doing great. No, we are self-deceived in so many ways. And he goes on to say, verse 4, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. This is a profound passage. Paul is saying we are the body of Christ. And it's like a normal body. Each one of us is a part. Each of us have different gifts that we bring. So there's this incredible diversity in the body that's necessary, each unique and each necessary. But then he says we belong to each other. Other translations have said that, that we are members of one another. So in the midst of incredible diversity in the body, there's this necessity of differences and giftings. But in the midst of that, Paul says that we are one body and we literally belong to each other. As a body, we are part of one another within this family. So we must rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We must journey together as a body. It's what we were created for. And it's said over and over again in the New Testament. Then Paul goes on to give some different ways of how they will bless one another in this body. And we read that earlier, verse 6. He says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for certain things, doing certain things well. So if God has given the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as is given to you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If your teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. How do I explain to my kids? They'll just say, well, I just don't have that gift of kindness. Um, That's one of the fruits of the Spirit, buddy. Um, This is just a couple examples of an infinite list of ways we can bless one another that God has given us, right? But then Paul gets very real, and he gets past the happy, clappy Christianity, the fake smiles of Christianity. He says this in verse 9. This is where we're going to land. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Again, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Don't pretend to love, he says. Don't fake it, but be genuine. Literally what he's saying here in the translation, it's love without pretense or love sincerely in the Greek. It means don't love with hypocrisy. Don't fake it. We could do a whole sermon on this series just on this alone. I mean, how many of us grew up in Christian environments where often appearances were more important than being genuine? We just be honest for a second. If you grew up in the church, how many of us is that our experiences where what matter more is how you appear on the outside? Where it'd be awkward if someone to ask you as you walk in a church door, say, how are you doing? And you said, actually, life is terrible right now. Like that would be like one of the greatest sins of church to have that level of honest because you create the greatest sin, which is the awkward situation where someone has to pretend to care in that moment. I mean, it's so incredibly sad, but we are called to love with sincerity, to not pretend to care, but to be genuine. Yet, oftentimes, check this out, people, church, sometimes, it's oftentimes, is the place where people fake it more than anywhere else. How is that possible? That trying to appear righteous, or that we have it all together, that sometimes we do that more at church than any other place. Do you not see how incompatible that is with the gospel? pretending that we aren't sleeping around or that we're getting drunk or looking at porn or pretending that we didn't just have a fight with our spouse or that we're exhausted with our kids or that we're wrestling with same-sex attraction or that our kids are wrestling with same-sex attraction or that we're deconstructing our faith or that we're depressed at work or that we're deep in debt or spiritually dead and just living on fumes. And we're scared at church to be able to be honest about those things. Yet being in church or being around other members of the body should be the one place where we can be more real than anywhere else and more honest and vulnerable than anywhere else. So Paul is saying, don't fake it. 
We should be able to be honest and real with one another with no need for pretenses, no need for masks, no need for, for, for putting on this, this what hypocrisy literally means to have two masks, right? To, to change masks in the original language. And why? Because we are the gathering of God's people who all together, we come together under this one insane reality that the unconditional loving God gave his life for us when we were in sin and brokenness and that we are righteous because of what he has done, not because of what we have done. That is what unifies us is the grace of God that when we were dead, he made us alive, not because of anything that we had done, but purely because of his righteousness, his love and his mercy in the midst of our brokenness and pain. So why would we ever try to hide that to one another when we are all just sinners, broken people, gathering together under the grace of God. And yet this sometimes can be the one place where we don't do it. You know, I remember working with one of the most broken populations I've ever worked with in my life. And it was, you know, I've been on mission for 20, missionary for 25 years in the field, traveled the globe. And I was once in Northern Australia working with indigenous Aboriginal people. And I, I was in the city that was, this town that was the most decimated social situation I've ever seen in my life where this proud tribe of warrior men and women had been so stripped of their culture and their value and land and of everything that matters to them and given an endless supply of alcohol. And it was one of the saddest things I've ever seen as these proud men just all week just laying drunk on the ground, often naked, just with nothing, just just in terrible situation. And then despite all of this pain, they're totally real. On Sunday morning, you go to church and they would come in like this ratty suit, pretending to be okay, trying not to look drunk. And they'd pretend on the one morning on the Sunday. And it was, I mean, a crazy show on Sunday to watch these guys coming in. I remember at the time, I was pretty young, I was judging them for it. I'm like, look at this hypocrisy. Why would you try and pretend in the church of the house of God? And I was judging them for it. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke directly to my heart. I said, James, you do the exact same thing. Just yours isn't as visible. And often your brokenness is just maybe more socially acceptable. But you're no different. You're putting on that mask too. And I'm not saying that we have to bear our souls to every human being that we see at church or as we walk through these doors. Many of us trust has been deeply violated. And that's a precious thing to trust someone, to let someone in, and I get that. But this is why we must be part of a community. We must be journeying alongside others where we are known and where we know others. Where we get, can be fully loved by others and we can fully love them. Where they get to know us and we get to know them. And <clears throat> for most of us, I'll be honest, it's impossible to do that on a Sunday morning with hundreds of people milling around. And This is a wonderful place to come and encounter the Lord. Meet with other people, develop relations, begin those connections and, and follow up. But it's, it's hard to journey together with people where we are deeply known and deeply know others in a few minutes on a Sunday once a week with 100 people around or so. And this is why, obviously today we're talking about community groups. This is why community groups to me is something that is such an essential part of a life as a body. Only within a smaller group of people can we journey together and really get to know one another and actually be known by one another. In fact, in the early church of Acts, they gathered both as a small group and as a larger group. Acts chapter 2 verse 46 puts it this way. Every day, the early church gathered together to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was the practice of the early church. They gathered together at the temple courts where literally hundreds could meet together listening to the apostles' teaching and gathering together in the much larger environment. But then daily they were going to homes with people where they gathered together in intimate settings and praying together and breaking bread together, the Lord's Supper, and administering to one another in smaller groups of homes where they were known and loved and cherished and served together and shared together and mourned together, rejoiced together and celebrated together. And while we need to grow and continue in, in loving without hypocrisy or pretense on Sunday mornings and, and as we come here in this larger gathering, absolutely, it must be a place where we can be real and open that every single person that walks through these doors should experience the love of Christ by being in this place. If not to me, we have failed. If there's someone that comes here, that unless they run in and run out without touching, even then my hope is they experience someone who gets a hold of them and shows them the love of Christ in the way that they're there. And we must do that. But it can be difficult in this larger setting. And what happens most naturally, in my opinion, is in a smaller community where it can be seen and be known. It's definitely not the only way. 
Obviously, community groups aren't the end-all, be-all. I, I know there's many who will never be part of one. You're like, I will never be caught dead in a community group, and I get that. You're still loved. You're still part of our community. We still love you. But it's one of the most accessible, fruitful ways that I know of. You know, we were at home group this past week, and someone shared some really painful stuff that they're walking through, and now they're barely holding on even to their faith at this moment. And afterwards, I thanked them for the raw honesty to share that in front of the group, and, and I love their response. They said, you know, James, I wasn't going to actually share that. It's, but it's just been aching within me and rising with, but then I realized, they said, if I can't share it here with this group, where can I share it? Right? Amen. That's what I'm talking about. It brought me so much joy to hear that they knew that if, if it can't be shared here in this body of people that are journeying with us, then where am I ever going to be able to share this? We need to be known. And that means we, need to, we, we, need, we have to be honest. We, we have to be vulnerable. I love the way Heather Kopp puts this in her book, Sober Mercies. It's a profound quote that I encourage you to download the sermon notes just for this quote in the process. It's in our sermon discussion questions this week where she details kind of the journey through deep addiction to pain. And, and, and she has this thing, and I was, when I read it, I was just like, wow, this, this describes so much of my Christian experience. And she says this, when folks gather around a system of shared beliefs, the price of acceptance in the group is usually agreement, which means the greatest value stated or not is being right. Unfortunately, this often creates an atmosphere of fear, and performance, which turns in turn invites conformity. So again, what she's saying here is that when people together come together primarily because they all believe exactly the same things, they all have exactly the same box, and that is important to everyone. They all have exactly the same way of doing it, like what happens in many churches and many organizations. She says in those situations, agreement becomes the greatest value. That we all must agree together. So being different from the group or having a different opinion or worldview or politics or something becomes a problem. As a result, she says, this often creates an atmosphere of fear and performance, which then leads to conformity being the chief value. Anyone read that and you're just like, yep. That pretty much sums up most of my experience with Christians over the years. <laughs> Where first you must believe the same thing that I believe have the same box that I believe, and then we can belong together. Then we can be friends when I know you agree with me. How many times during COVID is everyone just sussing each other out, making sure, do you have the same view on masks? Do you have the same view on this? Because if you don't, arms up, right? Once I know you agree with me on all these things, then we can be friends. But I got to make sure we have all this important stuff figured out first. Then you can belong within our friendship. And right there describes to me why the church across this country is experiencing such a massive exodus. People just get tired of this. And the fear of hell has no longer strong enough to outweigh the discomfort and frustration of performance and emptiness and hypocrisy. And so, so many people are walking away that society is feeling, I can conform with the rest and just walk away with the rest of them because my fear of hell is no longer holding me. But then Heather continues in this beautiful truth bombs that she lays right here. Check this out. When people gather around a shared need for healing, and we all are in need of healing, the price of acceptance from the group is usually vulnerability, which means the greatest value, stated or not, is being real. This tends to foster an atmosphere of safety and participation, which in turn invites community, even if you have questions and doubts. How beautiful is that? There it is, when we come together as fellow broken people, seeking to follow Jesus, knowing we aren't perfect, knowing that we're broken, but moving towards the well of Jesus at the center, where we can belong in the community, even before we have the shame beliefs and all the theology all worked out as we pursue Jesus together, each on their own journey as they come towards him, but journeying together alongside one another. In that place, the price of acceptance, it says, is vulnerability. People come with a desire to be real and open and honest, and that's what creates that atmosphere of safety and allows everyone to participate. And this is what leads to a beautiful community for those who are hurting and, and those who are well, and this is the kind of community that I definitely prefer hanging out in. That's why I loved spending years working with gangsters and drug addicts and prostitutes and murderers because they were just so real with what was going on as they journeyed towards Jesus. No pretense whatsoever. whatsoever. 
It's so much what we want Northview to continue to grow in. It's been one of our strengths, but we got to keep growing. As the Surgeon General Report said, loneliness is not just about having people around, but about not feeling known and seen around those people. And quote, bringing our whole selves that language. Community groups, again, are not the end-all be-all. I mean, some of you are just ready to walk out. We're like, I don't want, don't stop pushing this on me. Like I'm a drug pusher right now. Like, leave me alone. It's not the end-all be-all. I get it. They aren't the only way. And some of them, honestly, are really lame. Um, I'll be honest. I've been part of some. I probably led some. Um, but community groups are still, in their weakness, the best possible place I know of to get connected in community, to build deep relationships and be honest and real. And even within that group, then, to develop deeper one-on-one relationships. So a question for us all. Is your community group like that? That fosters honesty, openness, realness, and safety? Is it a place where people can be real and vulnerable and bring their whole selves? Or is it a place where there's an unspoken need to conform? Where agreement is more important than honesty? Where we hide pain and difficulty for fear of being judged or not conforming? If that is the way it is, then awesome. The good side, not the bad side I just said. But, but if it isn't that way, talk to your small group. Like, don't accuse them and say, you lead a crappy small group. Right? <laughs> but begin a discussion of saying, what would it look like for us to create greater environments of vulnerability in reference to this message? Or just go through the discussion questions this week, which address this very issue as a group. And if you aren't in a community group, I highly encourage you to join one. You know, one of the great things about community groups here in Northview is that they are not lifetime commitments. Each quarter, we open up new groups and start new groups. So we have like these on-ramp and off-ramp, and every quarter, you can jump in and jump off. You can actually do it literally anytime you want, but specifically, the quarters is kind of that, that major emphasis. And you can at any point without guilt or fear just say, you know what, it's not right for me. I need to take a season out, or I'm going to go try a different one. It's totally fine. But a community group should be a place of building deeper trust, pursuing Jesus together, studying scripture together, being with another, praying together, being known and knowing one another. And I'll be honest, our community group that we're a part of, Sarah and I actually lead one, is not perfect. Well, because I'm in it, therefore it can never be perfect. But another reason is because our group is a bit of chaos, as I've shared before. Um, And I'll be honest, our community group, and a bunch of you guys are here this morning, does not have the depth of honesty and sharing and realness that I would want to. But the reason isn't it's because we're terrible people. It's primarily because we have about 15 adults. We have over 20 kids under the age of eight that are running around and always in tears and screaming and yelling and having a blast running around our house all the time. And it definitely limits the opportunity for deep vulnerability when someone's sharing and then some kid, you know, runs into your lap or poops on the floor or something like it's just or steals something or grabs something, whatever it is. It's, it's just, it's, it's can be chaos sometimes. We kind of like that. We do a meal together. We share, we talk, and we try to get in 30 to 45 minutes of adult, like actual talking, right? It's amazing. We crave that. And it's a beautiful time, but it has some challenges. Yet, in the midst of that, and with the weaknesses of it, our community group is literally the first place that we will go to if we're struggling. If we need a meal, if life's too chaotic, if we're hurting, if we go to the hospital, need someone to watch the kids or watch, the, watch anything else or help out, that's the first place we're turning to is those people that we're journeying with. Even amidst the chaos, the place to be real with how we're doing, and that's the people that we're journeying with in the season. It's a beautiful mess. And it blesses me to know that right now, about 60% of our body is in community groups. And that's awesome. That's fantastic. But that also means a large percentage aren't. Um, and again, this is not about a guilt trip or shame or condemnation. This is simply an invitation for more life. Again, a community group is not necessarily going to be amazing because community is not found, it is forged. It's a phrase of her that I love. It's not found, it's forged. It takes work. You have to work on it. You can't just drop into deep community where there is honest and realness. You can even go into a place where there's perfect communion. You enter in, now it's ruined until you forge that community to a deeper level because you have to bring in trusting and sharing and being vulnerable and, and be willing to risk and be courageous with your own bravery to share in that place as well. So you don't ruin it. Someone's going to ruin it someone's going in there. So someone's just like, I can't join community groups. I'm going to ruin it. No, that's not what I'm saying. It was a bad joke. So, there are, there are some of us already who have deep relationships, and that's awesome. I've had some people tell me, they're like, I have a group I'm with, not a community group. I'm journeying deep towards Jesus. We're real. Awesome. Keep going. I, I don't want, no pressure. Just keep going, right? That's beautiful. But there's so many who are not. I've had a bunch of people say, I have this great group of people I hang out with. We're real. But the thing is, they're not journeying towards Jesus. It's just a good social connection. And that's awesome. But we need people that are pointing us to Jesus as well in that place. And so here at Northview, we desire to see more people involved in community groups than even attend the church. 
right? Because it's not that I want every single person that's here to be a community group, but I want to see lots of people. We want to see so many people being community groups that aren't even part of our community because they're being attracted to Jesus as they're our neighbors and friends and others that would never be caught dead in a church, but they might be fine going into someone's home and, and experiencing Jesus that way and walking in community there where they can be known and seen. Also, another point is community groups is where we can be cared for more than we can here in a larger gathering. Right? We only have a few pastors on our staff here. We have, we have just a few elders. I'm, she is so beautiful. Whatever you do, do not get up and walk out of the room. I'm just saying. This is just the uh, most... I'm just, she's, I keep looking over it. I just keep smiling every time I see her. She's so beautiful. Thank you. Um, but... Uh, we only have a few elders. We only have a few people that can offer like official pastoral care. For those of you that have been around for years, you've been spoiled, just so you know. Um, you've been used to having a superhuman pastor named Steve Mitchells. Um, Steve is able to meet with 40 people a week. He's able to be at every hospital bed, do every wedding, every funeral. He's right over here. Every marriage counseling. I, I worked here for a year and a half before I became the, the senior pastor. And I used to be amazed watching every day a stream of people a day, morning until night, flowing in out of his office for care and counsel. He does all of that morning until night while still loving his family well and keeping the streets of Gotham City free of crime in the evenings, right? Um, all of this Steve was able to do with Amazing, right? He's an incredible man. But the problem is I'm much more Robin to his Batman in this area. Um, I, I don't have that capacity. Um, I've recently made, made painfully aware of this on multiple occasions, honestly, as I've deeply wounded some people in our community who were hurting, and I wasn't there to reach out to help, and I realized I'm, I'm not good at working with hundreds of people in that way and, and follow up and care, and um, one of the reasons I, I'm terrible at text messaging, and I often don't get back to people on time. I'm trying to get better at it, but it's an area I'm growing in, and I, I do much better with people in front. I'm really good with people standing in front of me. Not so good with those at a distance. And I take solace in the humanity of Moses in Exodus chapter 18, where Moses wasn't able to, able to care for the massive crowds, and Jethro came along and said, you can't do this. And he said, you got to appoint leaders of tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands. And he did that. It was an amazing response to that. Even Moses couldn't do it. The exact same thing happens in the early church. And, and that, to me, is one of the great values of home groups, is we're able to care for one another in smaller groups. And each smaller group has a leader who acts as a shepherd over that group to help care for those within the group to help lead the group towards greater depth in Jesus and apprenticing after Christ as we love one another, someone to call when you're in the hospital and, or you need a meal or you got to move or you've lost a loved one or you're deeply, deeply hurting. And, and that is where the community groups are the best way we know of, of how to care for the body, whether it's through pastoral care of the leader, the body exercising its gifts and in, in loving one another and praying for one another and studying the word together and creating that dynamic to be real and honest and fostering relationships beyond that meeting. In fact, I'm concerned for those that aren't part of community groups because I wonder who's following up with you. How will we know if you're struggling? Who's praying for you on a weekly basis? Who's, who's following up? Who's, who's journeying alongside with you through ups and downs that will catch you if you're falling down or hurting or, or distant because you might get lost in the crowds? And if you have an outside community group, that's awesome. Or if you have that outside of a community group, awesome too. But if not, please seriously consider joining one today. We are created for a community, and we need one another. Amen? Yeah, we're going to finish with a couple of illustrations. When, has anyone ever been to the Redwood Forest in California? Beautiful, beautiful trees. Right? No, Esther grew up there. Um, some pictures of it. It was the most majestic, amazing trees on the planet. And I heard a sermon illustration about this once, of how they're, oh, they're so tall but only have short uh, roots. And I thought it sounded good. I looked it up this week to know if it was true, because the most majority of sermon illustrations I hear end up being more preach-worthy than they are fact-worthy. Um, <laughs> And so I always try and look them up, just so you know. But uh, I found this, I looked up this week, but posted by the, the, the Redwood State Park. So hopefully they're not lying. Um, and it says this. Is it on the next slide? Yeah, there we go. Oh, I just can't read it, probably. It's not big enough. But um, Redwood tree roots, it says, are more shallow than you may think for such an enormous tree. There is no taproot to anchor them deep into the earth. The roots are only 6 to 12 feet deep. And yet these trees rarely fall over. Withstanding winds and fires and storms and earthquakes and prolonged flooding, how can something up to 500 tons reaching over 350 feet tall and living for many centuries remain standing with roots only going down about 10 feet? Their root system, it says, is intertwined with the other redwood trees, literally holding each other up. The trees grow very close together and are dependent upon each other for nutrients as well. Only redwoods have the strength and ability to support other redwoods. Here it is. Check this. This is just a sermon right here. These trees are literally preventing the adversity of life from knocking each other down. Is that not awesome? 
It's not the perfect illustration for community. They share nutrients. Their, their, their strength is in the support of the people around them, of the trees around them. And they share nutrients with one another. And that's what helps them to get through the storms of life. We are created for community. Where we can be real and honest, where we journey together, where we love one another. Amen? Last story. Back in the 1800s, famous pastor named D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody. And um, he had someone in his office who was telling him uh, you know, that he doesn't need community. <laughs> True story. That he doesn't need community. And he says, I don't want to be part of it. And so Dwight L. Moody, when he's in the, in the office, he has this amazing office. He said there's a fire burning in his office, in a fireplace, which means he has an awesome office to begin with. But um, he said, I, while the guy is saying this, I reached in and took one single coal out of the burning fire, and I placed it in the middle of the floor. And he goes, we were both silent as we watched that coal quickly burn out while the fire kept blazing. We stood there in silence. And this man who just said, I don't need community, he turned and he said, I get it. <laughs> I hope some people today get it. And so there's a few different ways we can apply this. First, we need to continue growing and loving one another. This is Northview's greatest strength. It's always been our strength. But we need to keep growing from strength to strength of loving one another well. Especially here as the broken and the hurting come in these doors. May we not fake it. May we seek to genuinely love well, that every person that walks through these doors should experience the love of Christ in this place. That everyone who calls Northview home, every one of you who call this place home, you would see one of our primary responsibilities every time we walk into this place is, Holy Spirit, lead me to those who are hurting. Show me how to extend your love to the people around me. That is on every one of us. It's not my job. It's our job that every one of us in your head as you walk through these doors is, Lord, show me how I can show your love to those that are around me with genuine, not happy clappy, not fake, not pretending, but the love of Christ boots to the ground, genuinely caring for people. Amen? That's all of our job. That's first one. Next, if you call Northview home and you're not currently in a home group, I'm not trying to put pressure on it. Maybe I am. I don't know. I recognize for some it'll never work, and that's okay. But there's no guilt or, or shame in this. It's simply an invitation to deeper community. You can click on this QR code behind me. There's also a card in almost every seat with a pen. If you currently are part of Northview, if you're just here for the first time today and you're like, that sounds like something I want to do, click on that code or fill out this card and just put your name, email, and just say, I want to be part of a small group. Or maybe you're already part of one and it's just not hitting the needs you need. Great. We can help you find a different one. Just put on there and said, interested in a different small group. It will help you connect with some other ones. Try out a different one. There are people I know that bounce around regularly because they want to just meet new people and get to know others. Put your name, email down. We'd love to connect with you. And I recognize there's so many reasons to not do it. Life is full. Life is hectic. Sports schedules, everything else. Some people, it's just there's no, no way to find time of the week, in which case I would pray that you would seek the Lord and say, is your schedule overfilled? That you've, Some of us feel it's so, much, so much busyness just so we don't have to connect. Maybe one less sporting activity or one less event to actually be known because that's some of our greatest fear. Other people, it just feels a little too culty for them to sit with a bunch of strangers and talk. I get it. Try one out, check it out. If not, if you're not able to do it, then, then where are you getting that? Who's following up with you? Ensure you have that community around you. Again, community is found, not forged. Or it's forged, not found. Sorry. We have groups for every possible. We have young men, young women, older women, older people, senior citizens, young couples, young adults. We have those with young kids, those with old kids. We have walkers. We have hikers groups. We have board game groups. We have cornhole groups. Like there's, You can find a group of people that if you want to find someone to journey with you. And for those that are part of a group already, invest. Are you being honest? Are you being open? Do people know you? Are you known in that group? Are you holding back? Where is your armor up? And maybe for some, because of trauma, you got to keep it there. I get it. But if it's not because of trauma, it's just because of fear. I was meeting with someone just this past week, and they were saying, James, I, I can't share with my group where I'm at. I'm like, why not? Because they, they know, I just can't share it. I'm so scared. I've been hurt in the past. I go, said, what do you think will happen if you're fully honest with them? What, what's the worst that's going to happen? And they thought about it, and they thought, and they go, they'll probably have more empathy and care for me more and start praying for me. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a pretty bad worst-case scenario. And they come like, could you think of any other worse thing than that? Like, nope, that's about as bad as it gets. I'm like, all right, that sounds like a, a pretty low bar, right? But if you're part of one, invest more. And maybe you're here and you're not following Jesus, you're just beginning your journey. I hope this is a place where you can belong before you believe. Hang out with us. 
Join a group. Even if you don't know the Lord, join a group, hang out, join one of our serving teams or kind of groups on their own, but come hang out. Spend some time with us. Don't do this journey alone. And one of the things I'd recommend for you if you're early on that journey, you know someone is, is I highly recommend the discovery class that we've talked about. The team is leading. If you need a community group to journey with a bit of time, join the discovery class. Go with a smaller group of people, journey together about who is this person called Jesus, what is he like, find incredible community in that place. Jason just had an incredible testimony about a couple weeks ago. He shared of his own life and journey with them. We have a whole new new crop stuff starting up in two weeks. We'd love to take you. If you've come from a different background or you grew up in the Christian faith, but your faith isn't real solid, come. Or even if it is and you just want to go deeper with the group into the word, into who Jesus is, sign up for that. We would love to have you go with us and go through that. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you created us this way, Lord. That ache in our heart isn't unfounded. That ache in our heart isn't there by chance. It's there because you placed it there. You literally created us for community, Lord, to be known and to know others, Father. And it can't be filled in any other way. Even you, you declare, are not enough. We need one another, Lord. And so, Jesus, I pray for those that are deeply wrestling with us right now. May you give us the boldness to step out, the courage to fill out that form or send off that email or to pursue someone, Lord. For those that are just hurting or are watching online that just cannot actually physically get to physical community right now, Lord, we pray you would meet them where they're at. And Lord, you will give supernatural sustenance of relationship, connection, depth, and intimacy with you and even through the digital connections they have to the outside world. And we know that you can do that, Father. But for those that can, Lord, may you give us boldness to pursue what's healthy, to do what is good, to fight against this epidemic that's literally killing us, and to pursue one another in beautiful and deep ways. Thank you, Jesus. And then we pray.